Jason Reynolds is the author of some of the most celebrated YA fiction of our time, including All American Boys and the best-selling track series. He also writes comic books and poetry. Here's an exchange I had with Jason about his early days as a writer. When you were 16 years old, you self-published your first book, and you began selling it out of the trunk of your mother's car. Mm-hmm. W- was that the book, Let Me Speak? That was, and it's so weird that you know this. I, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like... Um, Well, it wasn't that hard to find. Um, Well, tell us what the book was about and and how did you make copies of it? And how did you go about selling it? Back then it was different. I was 15 when I started it, 16 when it came, when 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 I was selling it. It goes back to my mother, you know, I can do anything. There was nothing in me that ever felt like I couldn't just make what I wanted to make or do what I wanted to do or go where I wanted to go or say what I wanted to say, right? I just never had any of that and any of those sort of hangups. And so I, I remember telling my mom, like, yo, I want to make a book. I'm going to, I'm going to publish a book. And so I, at that point, I was all over the East Coast as a 16 year old. This is when spoken word was becoming, it was, it was still like an underground thing. It hadn't really exploded yet. We're talking about like 98, 99 around that time. And so it's about to explode, right? It's about to explode. It's still a thing that everybody's doing, but it hasn't hit like the mainstream. It's a bunch of just young, artsy, bohemian kids getting together at grimy open mics and just doing their thing, right? Everyone has on brown and green and smells like patchouli and that, right? Like that was sort of the, the vibe, you know? And I was, I was one of the young people in that scene. And so I would be in Philly and I would be in DC and I would be in New York and I would be in Richmond and I write like as a 16 year old driving my mom's car, just getting busy. This is back where you can get a license at 16, obviously. And I'm just getting busy doing my thing because I knew who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And I realized that everywhere I went, they were all selling books, right? They're all in their twenties and thirties. They're all selling books. And so I'm like, I got to make a book too. I meet this woman in Baltimore. Uh, a good friend of mine still, Maisha Cherry, who at the time was 21, right? And she's like, yo, I started a publishing company and I'm going to publish like just our friends. And Maisha was the one who was like, I want to make this book with you. Let's do it. And really, it was a vanity press, right? Really what that, what that meant was Maisha was going to format it and put it in the files and then I was going to pay for it to be printed up, right? That's, and she was going to take care of the ISP. that's pretty ambitious for a 15-year-old, a publishing Absolutely. company, your Absolutely. own imprint. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. And I was like, let's do it. And so we did that. I worked, I had a summer job. I remember, I think it cost me $500 to print a thousand books books or 500 books or something like that. Were they like Xeroxed and stapled? Did you have them bound? And No, this was like a real deal. Like we, I found a printer. We found a printer out of Florida called Whitehall Publishing or something like that. They're out of business now. And they were just a, a family business that did actual like bound books. I paid them 500 bucks. They sent me a thousand books and I sold them out of the trunk of my mom's car. And that's how I started to make money. And I did that a few times over, right? That was the beginning of of my life as a bookmaker. It's incredible that you did that. Do you still have copies of this? I do. My mom has like three or four. I have one around the house somewhere. My mom has one of the poems on the wall in the house because she's my mom, right? I try not to look at it. It's juvenilia, you know? It's hard to to read some of that stuff. But it's evidence. It's evidence of of your being 15 and the yeah. ambition to publish and create this, this it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, I think, I think it's the first brick and whatever castle I'm building. And I look at it as sort of, this is the sign of a kid hungry 
for life, right? Somebody with a lot of grit, a lot of sort of persistence. Like nobody was going to tell that kid that he couldn't do anything. One of the stories that I found in my research was you talking about the fish story from that class. And I cannot stop thinking about it. I cannot stop thinking about that story. If you can share that, I'd really appreciate it. I think it will impact our listeners in the same way that it's impacted me. Of course. Uh, one day we came to class and Mr. Williams had, uh, <laughs> he had a, a, a tropical fish in a bag. And he said, uh, this is going to be the class pet. He had an aquarium set up. He said, this is going to be a class pet, but we're all seniors. And so obviously as seniors, you're like, what are we, we're too old for this, right? But he's like, no, no, no. Like, this is a class pet. Don't worry about it. Like, it's, it's going to be great. I want you all to feed it when you come to class every day. You feed it. I want you all to name it. And this is going to be our, the class mascot. And so, okay, we'll we'll go along with it. And he said, the only rule is nobody can put your hands in the tank. Nobody can touch the fish. No fingers can be on the fish. I know how you all are. No playing around, no jokes, no pranks. Do not touch the fish by any means, by like no matter what. No means should you ever touch this fish. And if you do, this is a non-negotiable. If you do, you will be suspended. Okay, Mr. Williams, that's fine. Nobody wants to touch the fish. A week or two later, uh, some time passes and we come to class and Mr. Williams walks over to the fish tank and he takes the fish out of the tank and he puts it on the floor. And everybody jumps up and we gather around and we're mortified. Everyone is mortified and confused, right? We're like, what is he, what is happening right now? And he just is sort of watching and waiting as the fish flops around and is gasping for breath. And finally, two young ladies run over and they grab that fish. They they pick it up and they they sort (laughs) sort of juggle it back into the tank. And the fish survives. And we're all like, whew, that was weird and close. And what are you doing, Mr. Williams? And Mr. Williams very calmly says, um, young ladies, please get your bags and, and head on down to the principal's office. You are suspended. And of course, they're like losing their minds. And they're like, are you kidding? What are you, what are you saying? Like, this isn't, what, what are you doing? And he's like, I know you're upset. I know you're upset. But please, please exit the room. Like, I get it. You're mad. But please do as I ask and go down to the principal's office and uh, call your parents. And, and you, are, you are suspended. And as they're leaving the room, he pokes his head out and he says, but hold your heads up because you did the right thing. But sometimes doing the right thing has consequences. Um, There were two things I learned that day. One, I had to sit there for the rest of the day in my cowardice. I had to stew in my cowardice that I didn't have the chutzpah to get up and save that fish, though everything in me was telling me to. And two, I learned that it is always women. Really? It is always women who save the fish in our, re- in, in our everyday lives. I mean, historically, right? We can run through every social movement. We can run through, we can run through what's happening right now in today's mm-hmm. time, right? It's always women who make the sacrifice, even if they don't get the credit for it, right? Even if we have male figureheads who get gunned down, we know that, right? But there are women who are behind those people turning those wheels. There are women who are part of the planning committees. There are women who are laying their bodies down, who are sacrificing time with their children. There are women, there are always women who save the fish. And uh, and I'll never, ever forget it. And every day of my life, I wake up and I choose to save that fish. Every day from, from there forward. I think about that probably twice a week. 